turn to James chapter 3. You can turn in your copy of the Bible, the one that's in the seat back in front of you. Turn to James chapter 3. We're continuing in our study in the book of James. And as we're, we're turning there, let me give you a riddle. I've never given you a riddle before as your pastor the last seven years, but this is a riddle, okay? All right, what is incredibly sharp and yet can't even cut through paper? What can heal without any medical intervention? And what has toppled even dynasties and rulers without using a single weapon? Any guesses? It's that small wiggly red thing behind your teeth. Yes, it is your tongue. By the way, I came up with that riddle myself. I didn't Google that. I didn't chat GPT that. This is authentic Nate, okay? All right, all right. Anyway, it is the subject of James chapter 3. And it's true, isn't it? That riddle is very true in this world. You know, uh, uh, Miss Xenia Jones, who comes and prays with me each Sunday, she said, I'm going to pray for you, Nate, because, you know, people don't like you talking about their mouth. <laughs> it's true, right? We don't like to talk about our tongue, about our speech. But, you know, we've been reading through the book of James. James doesn't pull any punches. James has no problem confronting our deepest and most uncomfortable sins. And so here's another one. He's going to be talking about our tongue, that is our speech, a subject that he's already introduced to us earlier in chapter 1, verse 26, when he says, those who consider themselves religion, religious and do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and the religion is worthless. Remember, this is really the theme of James that, that throughout this letter, that the difference between a mere profession of faith and a real possession of faith in Jesus is what we do with our faith in real life. And that was really last week's, the thrust of last week's message. I'd encourage you to go back online, watch that, download it, listen to it, so you can get that dynamic of faith and works. But now he's going to say, hey, this is also true when it comes to how we use our tongue, our speech. And so today from James, we're going to see three warnings, three warnings about the tongue. And then we're going to talk practically, how do we heed James' advice in the real life relationships that we are all in? Now, often I tell you that each of these sermons that I preach is really first a sermon in one degree or another to myself, and that is true. Maybe you've heard me say that before. I'll tell you, this one particularly is a sermon for me. <laughs> I never want you to think that because I have this microphone on or I have a title and I stand before you that I am not subject to all the same struggles that you struggle with. I do. I am indeed human like the rest of you, okay? This one particularly is a challenge for me, and it's often the case for people who have a gift of speaking or a gift in communication, that with that gift comes a dark side, a shadow side, a danger in using our tongue. We can use it sometimes carelessly, or we can use it selfishly for our own gain, or use it to cause damage to others. And so everything that I say to here today is really going to be prayers that I've been praying for myself as your pastor, but also as a father and a husband in my home. Now, even though this sermon is primarily for me, I think it's going to benefit all of you because each of you use your tongues as well, don't you? Each of you, by the way, according to ChatGPT, 10,000 words a day is what you speak. 
10,000 words a day, that's five chapters that you write every single day with your words. Words matter to God. Words matter to people in our lives, and so they ought to matter to us. So let's talk about that. Warning number one of your writing down uh, notes, warning number one is that the tongue is disproportionately powerful. The tongue is disproportionately powerful. James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. You you see he's saying, by the way, that's not possible. You see that? When we put bits into the mouths of horses, we make them obey us. We can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Notice where James starts in his warning about the tongue. He starts by addressing teachers. Not many of you, he says, should become teachers. Why does he address teachers? Well, I think it's a good place to start because teachers use their words, probably double the amount as the rest of the population, right? You're writing a five-chapter book. We're writing a 10-chapter book every uh, day with our words. Uh, But also because those who teach, and James here is, I think, talking particularly about those who teach in uh, the church, that is, teach the Bible, are particularly, uh, it's particularly judged strictly because we exercise authority. We exercise influence through the word of God, right? And so it's even more important that we're taking account. Those who are teachers hold tremendous influence over other people's lives. Occasionally I have someone, maybe even years later, reach out to me over email or on social media and say, hey, Nate, I don't know if you remember me, but Uh, You gave this message one time, and you said this one line, or you quoted this author, or you gave us this challenge, and man, I can't tell you how much that has influenced my life. It's made such an impact, such an impact in my life. It's changed the very course of my life, and I'll be like, man, that's incredible. I have no idea what I said. I don't even remember saying that. Now, what direction are you headed? Okay, it's good? Okay, yeah, that was me. Uh, (laughs) I'm always amazed by how influential words can have in a disproportionate way. I might not even remember saying it, but man, it had a ripple effect in that person's life. This is the influence that words can come, especially to those who are teachers. We'll likely have no idea the different ways that our words will influence others, either good or bad. Consider the authority that you hold in your sphere of influence. You might not be a teacher in a church context, but If you have any influence, and we all have influence of a variety of kinds, we have authority, spheres of authority in our lives. Maybe you're a school teacher or a counselor or a mentor or a coach. Maybe you're a manager of people or you are a subject matter expert or you're a husband or wife or you are a big brother or big sister or you're a boyfriend or a girlfriend or, you know, you hold influence in school. You're popular at school. When you talk, people listen. Or, you know, you have influence out in the sports field because of the way you play the game. Wherever it is, your influence is a stewardship from God. It's a stewardship. It's a responsibility from God that he holds you accountable to. You're accountable, 
not only for that influence, but how you use that influence through your words. So James says, hey, think twice before you jump into a role of authority because you'll be judged more strictly. Now, I think James has in mind both eternally that that God holds us more accountable, and I take that seriously every time I bring the word of God to you, but I also think this is true in judgment of other people. Other people will judge you more strictly if you are in a role of a teacher, and this is true, a role of influence or leadership. Now, James goes on to illustrate this in everyday life. He demonstrates this using three uh, metaphors or illustration about the disproportionate power of our word. James first talks about a horse's bit. Any horse people out there? Horse people out there? Not like half man, half horse. I mean like you, you ride horses, you like horses, some of you out there, a couple of you. Okay, so, so then you know what this is, okay? You know what this is? Now, the rest of us that aren't horse people, like you, we look at this, I don't know what this is. It looks like an ancient torture device or, I don't know, maybe something like little toddler handcuffs or something. It's not, okay? This is a horse bit. It goes inside the mouth of the horse, okay, so that you can turn the horse with the reins of which direction to go. And, um, you know, I've been around horses from time to time. You get up close to them, and maybe you, like, you, you, you pet them or whatever, they are solid muscle from head to toe. The, these, these are very strong beasts. You ever look at a horse in, that, in his long face? You look him in the eye? And that horse is thinking, you don't, you don't watch yourself. I'm going to kick you through that stable. These are powerful animals. It's the reason we call it horse power, right? We measure things by horse power. These are powerful creatures. And yet, when this bit goes into the mouth of the horse, you can tame it. You can turn it that big animal in the direction that you want to go. James is saying that little thing that you call a tongue inside your mouth can control the direction that you go. It, it can get you into trouble and it can get you out of trouble at times. That's the power of the tongue. And he says, in case you didn't like that illustration, I got another one for you. Let's talk about a rudder, he says, a rudder of a ship. The USS Eisenhower, which you see here on the screen, is 91,000 tons, 280,000 horsepower, carrying 100 aircrafts. Isn't that amazing? Huge, huge, uh, almost a city, uh, a town floating out there in the water. And yet the rudder is one-tenth of one percent of the ship's size. And that rudder controls the entire navigational direction of the ship. The tongue is less than half of 1% of your entire body weight, and yet it has a massively disproportionate impact on your direction, on your relationships, and the relationships to the people that you influence. He talks about a bit. He talks about a rudder. And just in case you're not tracking with any of that, those points, he says, let me give you one more, a flame of a fire. Massively destructive fires, forest fires, are often started by a careless flick of a cigarette or someone who forgot to put out their little campfire. And some wind gets a hold of that, an entire forest is gone. We saw this, of course, this earlier this year in Lahaina, Maui, in Hawaii. We saw, starting on August 8th, what they believe was a severed power line that that sparked on some dry grass and with some gusts of winds within hours, 
homes were being engulfed with the flames. There were people abandoning their cars, jumping into the Pacific Ocean to get away from the flames. Lives lost, hundreds of houses, thousands of uh, businesses and homes destroyed, all from one spark. You see what James is saying about the tongue? Friends, the tongue can be so destructive. Think about how our world has been destroyed at times, been impacted by the tongue. It's been said that 125 people died for every single word of Adolf Hitler's manifesto, Mein Kampf. 125 people per word. Now we, we, know, we know about the horrors of the Holocaust, but we often don't think of how it began. It didn't begin with weapons, friends. It began with words. On the other hand, words can heal, can't they? Words can bring life, can't they? Think about powerful speeches in our U.S. history that we might think of. Martin Luther King Jr., the I Have a Dream speech. Think about the way that that rippled through our society, indelibly making an impact on the racial front. Continues to to this day. See, what all of James is saying is really hearkening back to Proverbs. You think about Proverbs 18, 21 that says that the power of life and death are in the tongue. The power of life and death. Think about it this way. Every single child that comes into this world starts off kind of like an empty canvas on their life. And that empty canvas, with words that are said about them or to them, paints strokes on the empty canvas of their life. And throughout their life are strokes being painted And throughout their life, as they grow up, they are getting a portrait of who they think they are based on the words that are spoken to them. Either words that bring life or words that bring death. Think about your own life. Think about the words that have been painted on the canvas of your life growing up. Maybe you can think about words that brought life to you. Thinking about a parent or a teacher, a mentor, a coach who saw something in you that maybe nobody else saw who brought out of you character qualities or challenged you in a way or showed you love through words that made an incredible impact in your life. Some of you are in a career today or in trajectory in college today because of words that were spoken to you that brought life. Powerful. Speaking to the canvas of your life. But I fear that I bet there's a lot of us in here that also can think of words that wounded that painted on the canvas of our lives strokes that we have a hard time ever getting out of our minds. Things that people said to us that hurt us. Things that made us maybe act out in self-destructive ways. Or things where you have battled lies that you now still believe it to yourself. When you look at yourself in a mirror, you don't see accurately what is being reflected back because of the portrait that was painted. Strokes of words painted in your life. When I was in high school as a senior and I was about to graduate, walk out graduating, and one of my teachers said to me, Nate, you're never going to amount to anything in life. Said that as I was walking out. Now, granted, I wasn't exactly the best student in that class, all right? (laughs) But I look back on that and I wonder how much of my life in some way has been impacted by those words. 
Where would I be if Christ didn't intervene in my life? Where would maybe those self-destructive words have taken me? Words are powerful. I think we get the idea. Here's warning number two. The tongue is tough to tame, isn't it? Any amens to that, that the tongue is tough to tame? We struggle with the tongue. Verse six, the tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Okay, James, tell us what you really think. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. I wonder if somebody spoke some words of death into James as he was growing up, made him pen that. James is using some hyperbolic language here to point out a a singular truth, which is one of humanity's greatest challenges is taming our tongue. And we can tame all kinds of creatures, can't we? James says that we still do it to this day. Uh, In 1938 in Amarillo, Texas, a prisoner in solitary confinement trained a cockroach to carry cigarettes to him underneath the cell door. (laughs) I cannot make this up. This is a real article. And she's... When I discovered this, by the way, I was in my office at home and I was laughing so hard. Shannon came in and said, what are you laughing about? I said, you look at this picture of this cockroach carrying a cigarette and a match on its back. I mean, it's the most wild thing you've ever seen. But they train, <laughs> and by the way, that, the, uh, the prison guard there is like, tra- he's like seeing that this actually works. It's, anyway, it's a funny story. The, so the prison, one prisoner would whistle and somehow they got this cockroach to come over and then he would tie a little string with the cigarette and the, the matchstick on his back and the other prisoner would whistle and then the cockroach would go under the door and he'd light up right there in solitary confinement. Amazing. We can train cockroaches to carry smokes and yet <laughs> former leaders of the free world can't stop themselves from saying ridiculous things on social media. How is that possible? Oh boy, this is the very same thing that James says. We can think of famous influential people who have train wrecked their careers, been canceled on social media because of flippant, careless, racist, or otherwise bigoted things that they've said. But this is not just a problem for famous people, is it? It's a a problem for all of us. James says, hey, you know that little muscle, the most powerful muscle in your body behind your tongue. Yeah, that one, the one that is set on fire by hell when it's at its worst. You know, the one that, uh, that, that where you say careless things, it would be easier to train a spitting cobra than it would be that tongue. You know, sometimes that deadly poison of our tongue strikes at the most unopportune times, doesn't it? Think of a Times in your life, maybe you said words that you could never get back and it ruined a relationship. Maybe some of you have been let go from work or not promoted because of something that you've said. John Gottman, the marriage guru and researcher, once said that in a marriage where there are 10 or more critical comments to what every 100 comments in that relationship, it is the greatest predictor of divorce. Criticism is the greatest predictor of divorce. 
in a marriage. Training our tongue is very difficult. And not just in extreme situations, in everyday, run-of-the-mill situations. Have you ever thought to yourself, man, I, I really want to say something, but I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. I'm going to keep it shut. And then 90 seconds later, you're in the middle of the argument, you're going back and forth, and then like in two hours later, you have to go and apologize to that person. I'm so sorry. I really shouldn't have said what I said. You ever find yourself? This isn't just me, is it? You ever find yourself doing this? Yeah. Man. <laughs> yeah. Ever think that you're just, you know, joking around with someone? I'm just giving them a hard time. You know, we're just playing around. And then you realize, uh-oh, I offended them. Open mouth, insert foot. Yeah. My wife, Shannon, often says to me, just because you think it's funny, Nate, doesn't mean you need to say it. <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank you. It's very true. Why is it that tongue, uh, taming the tongue is so difficult? Why is that? This leads us to warning number three from James. The tongue reveals our heart. It's because the tongue reveals our heart. With the tongue, he says in verse 9, we praise the Lord, our Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing, my brothers and sisters. This should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or grapevine bear figs? Uh, no. Can a salt spring produce fresh water? What is he doing with all these illustrations? He's showing us the hypocrisy of our words. He's showing us the irony of our words. How is it that we could be worshiping God on a Sunday like today, singing of the goodness of God and going out and saying, hey, be blessed, brother. God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. And you walk out the doors and you have to sit in traffic because there's so many people in here. And you go, what is wrong with the person in front of me? They an idiot? Just turn left. Come on. Why did you miss your opportunity? None of you, well, lovely people would ever do something like that. Or you get in an argument with your spouse or your, your brother or sister. Hmm. Friends, why is this? How does this happen? Yeah, I used to find it funny when I was a kid. I'd go to a doctor and get a, a checkup. And the doctor would say, okay, now put out your tongue. Stick out your tongue. I used to laugh because I was like, ha, in every other area of my life, I'm never allowed to do that to somebody. But now I guess I can. Okay. Uh, yeah. And he gets the little thing. He looks around there and he says, okay, all right. I see something going on in the throat. Somehow my tongue could tell him a lot about the health of my body. And the very same thing is true for us spiritually. The tongue, according to James, is the best indicator of your spiritual health. So if you have a tongue problem, you have a heart problem. This is what James is telling us. And he's saying the very same thing that Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, that the mouth speaks out of what? The abundance of the heart. Have you ever said, said something to someone? You name call them, you lash out in anger, and then later you're embarrassed by it, and you go up to the person, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean that. I, I, that wasn't me. Oh, you sure? Well, you probably meant it in the moment. And I'd be willing to bet that it is you because if it's not you, I don't know who it was. See, it is us in the moment. Where does it come from? It comes from what's already in the hearts. 
Friends, what are your words revealing about your heart that needs to be addressed, that you need to allow God to access in your heart? What is it? These are the three warnings that James gives us. The tongue is disproportionately powerful. The tongue is tough to tame. Thirdly, that the tongue reveals our heart. You say, okay, well, what do we do about these warnings in our relationships? I want to give you uh, one practice per warning, briefly, as we close, that we can put into practice in our daily lives, okay? So, because the tongue is disproportionately powerful, friends, we need to be slow to... We need to be slow to speak. This counsel is right from James himself, verse 19 in chapter 1, when he says everyone should be, what, quick to listen, slow to speak. And when you're quick to listen, slow to speak, you are slow to become angry. He's saying the very same thing it says in Proverbs 10, 19. In many words, sin is not lacking. (laughs) If you talk too much, you will probably sin. We all know somebody in our lives that talk too much. You know, the conversation's like all one direction. They just blah, 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 blah. You just say, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then that's it. You know people like that? You're like, I don't know anyone like that. It's you then, okay? <laughs> so just keep, keep that in mind. But we all, some of us talk too much, right? You say, yeah, Nate, you. Yes, that's also true. So we need to be very careful about our words if this is us. Abraham Lincoln famously had a drawer full of letters that he regarded as the greatest letters he ever wrote that he never sent. Because when someone would get him angry, he'd write a letter, he'd put it in a drawer, and when his anger subsided, he'd come back to that letter, maybe make some changes, and oftentimes he wouldn't send it at all. And he said, you know what? That drawer saved me from so much grief. I I probably wouldn't even be in, had the career I have in my life if not for that drawer. Oh, we have something to learn from Lincoln, don't we? Before you speak, before you hit send, before you, what do you do, swipe? I don't know what you do on social media. Before you do that, ask yourself, does this really need to be said? Do I need to have the last word here? Do I need to really make my point known? Have I I really listened to what my husband or wife or child or coworker has said, my friend at school has said, does this add anything important to the conversation? And so for some of us, this is a struggle to you. And you, if, it's, if this is you, you know it. Okay, you're not blind to this. If this is you, you know it. People have told you this. It's gotten you in trouble. Right? If this is you, maybe you need to go into a short season of silence. Maybe you need to go into a short season of fasting from social media. Maybe you need to go into a season where you just listen without speaking, especially if you hold influence in other people's lives. So, because the tongue is tough to tame, secondly, we need to sow encouraging words. We need to sow encouraging words. James, just a few verses later in verse 18, says this, peacemakers who sow, that is plant, in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness. Isn't that a powerful verse? Sow in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness. James says when we sow words, when we plant words of encouragement, words of peace, it reaps life in other people, and in fact, in our relationships. This is a great principle, and this principle comes from Jesus himself. He was the ultimate sower of righteousness. He was the ultimate sower of peace. 
Think about what Peter said in John uh, chapter six when he says, Lord, who else would we go to? Who else has words that bring eternal life? Jesus' words don't just encourage us here. They, they encourage us forever. His words spoken over us bring us literally life, translate us from this terrestrial world to eternity. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And believing those words, we can have hope that never dies, a hope, a future that is incorruptible. Man, talk about words of life. Talk about sowing words of peace. We need to be people like Jesus who are speaking, encouraging words, sowing words into other people's lives. So think about this question. Who is in your life right now? Who is in your life right now that needs encouraging words sown into their life? Who is this in your life? Maybe throughout this message, this has been convicting you. Who is this person in your life? This entire week, every day this week, say an encouraging, sow an encouraging word into their life. Every day, tell them uh, that you've been praying for them lately. Or say something like, you know, I, I've, um, I've seen this character quality about you and I'm so encouraged by it. Or ask them, hey, how can I be praying for you? Sow words of peace, encouraging words into their lives. Take that challenge. And may I also add, some of us today, we need to sow words of life into ourselves because the canvas of our life has been strewn with lies about ourselves that we've believed. And there's words that have been hurtful that have been said to you by someone that has caused incredible amounts of pain. And if that's you today, if you are tempted to believe that nobody sees you and your life really doesn't matter, you need to sow words of truth that God has said about you, that you are fearfully, wonderfully made, that he loves you, that you are the apple of his eye, that he's made you as a masterpiece, a workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works to do. That is who you are. That is the accurate portrait of who you are. If someone has told you or you believe that you're unlovable, you need to memorize and speak over your life encouraging word of Romans 8, 39, that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. He loves you forever and ever. Or maybe somebody's painted on the canvas of your life that it's too late for you because you have made too much of a mess of your life from your past. You need to speak Words of life, like 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that therefore if anyone is a new, in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has passed away, and the new has come. So encouraging words. We not, might not be able to tame every single word, but friends, when we speak these words of life, we're able to take control where the enemy wants to cause death. So words of life. And lastly, because the tongue reveals our heart, we need a new heart. We need a renewed heart, a transformed heart. I'll close with this thought. When James was writing about the salt water and fresh water here in verses 11 and 12, he may have had in mind a story from the Old Testament from Exodus 15. Moses and the children of Israel were wandering through the desert, and they're thirsty. And all their water is drying up and they come upon an oasis and alas, they dive in, they plunge in, they start drinking the water, but then immediately they spit it out because it was bitter. It was probably salty, at a salty source. 
And so, Lord, what what are we doing? We, We need your help. What are we going to do? And God tells Moses to have them cut down a tree and throw that tree into the water, and the bitter, salty water would become fresh, would become sweet. Say, what what is going on with that crazy story? That story is a story about deliverance, God's provision and deliverance for people who are thirsty and needy. And it's the same story throughout Exodus. It's a story of deliverance. All of it foreshadows the ultimate deliverer who would come, who is Jesus Christ, who would come and deliver us from our greatest needs, and he would come and give us, quench the thirst that, so that none of us would ever be thirsty again. And you know, God, on, on that Calvary day, cut down another tree, and he allowed his son to have his hands and his back stretched out on that tree and be led to Calvary. And in his death, he plunged that tree, the wood of that cross, his sacrifice into the salty, bitter, corrupted, evil, sin heart, sinful heart of man. And through his sacrifice, our hearts can be cleansed. Our hearts can be made new. Our hearts cannot be salty again, but become sweet. The Bible, in fact, he promises part of the new covenant says, I will replace a heart of stone with a heart of flesh so you can obey me. See, when we come to Christ, when we believe in him, he begins to replace, he gives us a new heart, the Bible says, a heart that begins to have a longing to please God, who can begin through the power of the Holy Spirit to tame the tongue. No human might be able to tame the tongue, but the Holy Spirit can help you tame it. And we will be, begin to be transformed, cleansed from the inside out. Will we do that perfectly? No, we won't do that perfectly. But it is a battle worth fighting because even when we get it wrong, we are forgiven and we can get back on the horse and we can continue to ride with the help of the Holy Spirit. So friends, may we be people whose words reflect the new heart that we've been given in Jesus Christ. And while we might not always get it right in this world, may we long for the day when Jesus returns and he takes our poisonous, wild tongues and he eradicates them forever and replaces them with tongues that sing his praises forever and ever and ever. And until that day, let's pray that God's will for our tongues would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we leave this place today, we want to honor you with our tongues. May our mouths speak the praises of our King. And as we sing this song, last song together in response, Lord, teach us to sing your praises. Change us from the inside out. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.